0: Welcome to the show folks. This is wrestling changed my life. Here we go.
1: He was like, I want you to come down here and fight MMA in Peru. And I'm like, no man, I have like this good Wall Street job. Like I, I work on Wall Street. Like I can't do that. We can endure anything. And adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection resilience toughness
0: some guys have it some guys don't adversity 100 percent how to pick myself up and be a man after i failed and everything that has shaped my life and where i'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons i've learned through the sport of wrestling for me wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy we're fortunate if you wrestled, because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You
1: learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, and I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. The Wrestling Changed My Life podcast is here. My guest today is the great Raleigh Petterkin. Raleigh is one of the most fascinating cats I've had on the podcast. He was a stud wrestler at Penn, went to Wall Street, was doing well, but then he up and leaves his life, leaves his comforts, and moves to Peru to fight MMA professionally. It's an incredible story, one that's still going on. Raleigh's traveled to 56 countries. He's written a book. He hosts a podcast called The Divergent Path Podcast, where he's sharing his story. And really, the whole focus of this conversation is how Raleigh escaped the American dream to live a life that fulfilled him. Really enjoyed it. Hope you do as well. Check out his book. It's called The Cage, Escaping the American Dream. And as I mentioned, his podcast is called The Divergent Path Podcast. Fan of the week goes to Jake Campbell, an Iowa fan, a former D1 wrestler. Jake, thank you for tuning in, my friend. We appreciate it. Folks, last but not least, if you want to subscribe to our text message service to get automatic updates from the podcast, text the word wrestle, W-R-E-S-T-L-E, to 22454. Again, that's Russell to 22454. That's it, ladies and gents. Let's give it up for the great one, Raleigh Petterkin. Raleigh Petterkin, welcome to the podcast. And I probably just butchered your last name, sir. (laughs) Peterkin. Peterkin, excuse me. Yeah. Thank you for doing this, man. You have an incredible story to tell. But before we get to it, I just got to ask. You're from Wellesley, Mass., right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Have
0: you ever been to the Linden store?
1: Yeah, have you?
0: Oh my god, my first job was in Wellesley, and I had this Thanksgiving sandwich from there. It was like cranberry stuffing and turkey, and I still dream about it to this day. And once I saw you were from Wellesley, I'm like, I gotta ask about the Linden store.
1: Yeah, yeah, man, that Thanksgiving sandwich is delicious. They have the they have the best subs there. Man, that is a random place. So, what were you doing in Wellesley?
0: My first job was there. It was a, a it was kind of a tech company. I worked in sales there for my first two months. I graduated grad school and I moved to Wellesley and I was, I actually lived in Newton, but um, was living in Newton in a hotel, June and July of that summer. And that was like the first time I experienced the East coast ever. It was awesome.
1: Wow. That is a random little place there. And uh, yeah, when I was in high school, that was the cool place to like go on like a half day or whatever. Everyone goes and gets subs there and, uh, and meets up and it's the kind of social scene and, and all that stuff. So that's, that's cool that you've been there.
0: Small world, dude. So you were a, a dominant Massachusetts high school wrestler, and we're talking about Wellesley Mass. That, that's in that area, obviously. How would you get to Blair Academy?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I grew up wrestling in, in Massachusetts from when I was seven years old. I uh, started wrestling and, you know, took to it right away. And I was really lucky that at a young age, um, I kind of fell in with Kendall Cross, who was coaching at Harvard at the time, and he really like took me under his wing and like I think, you know, I was doing well in Massachusetts before that, but that really kind of like got me to that next level. And, you know, I started doing well, started traveling further. We always had to go to tournaments, you know, we always had to drive down to New Jersey or Pennsylvania to get the kind of competition. I mean, I love Massachusetts, but there's uh, you know, there wasn't the highest level of, of competition here. Like a lot of times in high school. I'd be wrestling someone who was like a first year wrestler. I mean, like as a 103 pounder, my coach would say, like, you know, like, make sure you get the full match. Don't pin this guy right away. And I'd pin him in 30 seconds or something. And he'd be like, what happened? I was like, I was trying not to. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, so, yeah, so I always wanted to get that competition. Like, I would bump up weight classes. I bumped up and beat the state championship, state champion at the weight above me. And I was kind of like, I was bumping up two weight classes. I was just trying to get that competition. And so um at a certain point in high school, yeah, it was like I want to prepare myself better for college wrestling. And, you know, for years we had talked about Blair. I had been to a, a camp there and gotten to know Buxton. And it just kind of seemed like the thing to do. And so also I was kind of small for a 125 pounder. And so I got an extra year of high school there too. So I did two years at Blair and it was just to kind of like prepare for college and grow into the weight class and uh and it did just that.
0: What was the, the transition? Cause I know you were already a dominant high school wrestler. Did you fit right in or was there a learning curve?
1: Um, I will say that like, I had technique wise, I was all right. You know, like I had, I had won Fargo twice, I think before I even went there. And so I was up there. What I wasn't prepared for was the practices were grueling. I mean, it's like, what you hear about, you know, the Iowa wrestling room or something, you know, you have like, you have guys in there you're wrestling against. I mean, every day I would wrestle with Kellen Russell, uh, you know, uh, Eric Medina, Travis Blasco, uh, all these guys. And like someone like, I mean, Kellen Russell was, uh, yeah. I mean, a, a killer of course, you know? And like, yeah. so you do like shark bait with these guys and every day it was just such a grind. And, um, and we worked hard, Buxton worked as hard for sure, like the conditioning that we did outside of practice and the lifting and so it was like a full schedule and uh and yeah, I mean that's why it, it it's such an elite level like buxton really uh really pushes the guys and really expects a lot from them and uh and yeah, I mean it definitely helped to bring me to that next level, the whole system of wrestling uh when I was in college, you know i used his near wrist series and like the top riding stuff that I learned there. And it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was definitely uh, to, to answer your original question though. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. Like going in there, I was used to being like a dominant guy and kind of cruising through practice and then to just go in there and have to fight for every single point was, uh, was tough.
0: It had to be awesome though, to be around Buxton, who has been on this podcast and he's just a, a psychological Master, it seems when you're getting guys ready uh, for that next level.
1: Yeah, I had him on on my podcast as well. And he is just like, I, I, I said, I think I said in the intro to my podcast, is that I've never met anyone in any field who is as dedicated to the craft as Buxton is to wrestling. And that's like including all levels of wrestling and all these other elite fields I've been in. I mean, if Buxton is awake, he's thinking about wrestling. And he is just like, you know, every waking minute he's thinking, how can I get my wrestlers better? How can I make them better? And it's not just he's studying techniques online, but he's doing research on, uh, he would send us articles about you know, getting the proper amount of sleep. And he had a nutritionist come in and speak to us. I mean, he will leave no stone unturned. And so, you know, it, it really, he, he's really just such a master of the craft. And I, I learned, so much from him and he just like I said I mean he will do every single thing he can to make his wrestlers the best in the country so uh you know he d- he he kind of inspires a certain level of confidence too you know when you're going out there like you have that confidence of this guy prepared me he's prepared so many of the other greats you know uh, guys Steve Mako and Corey Cooperman and Zach Esposito and so you just have that confidence of like I, I should know what to do.
0: And if you can share, and if it's too personal, you don't have to, what was Buxton's reaction when he told him you were moving to Peru to start this crazy new life?
1: <laughs> so uh, nothing's too personal, by the way. Go ahead. Ask me all the tough stuff. But uh, he, you know, it was, it was years later. I think I hadn't kept in close touch with him, but I think I saw him... Uh, I might've seen him in New York at a, at a wrestling tournament or something after I'd already been down there. And I, I just like, looked at me and just shook his head. Like, you know, you, 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 you're crazy, <laughs> you crazy guy. Whatever. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, like he's commented on a few things I've posted uh, on like Instagram or whatever. And he's just like, man, you are insane. What's wrong with you? Cause he, I mean, he's a guy, he's got his like such singular focus of dedication to wrestling and uh and it's funny because, like, you know, he's a crazy dude in a lot of ways. But, uh, yeah, he, he, I think he thinks that I'm just, like, a total nutcase.
0: Well, and, what, and this is what we're going to talk about today. So, folks who, who don't know the story, uh, Raleigh wrestled at Penn, three-time national qualifier, made it to the blood round three times. But then after that, you went on to be a successful trader in Wall Street. Uh, you know, from the outside look, in, it's like, hey, this kid's got everything going for him. And I'm sure you felt that. But there was something gnawing at you. And then lo and behold, you've been to 56 countries, you quit your job, you moved to Peru, so that's what we're going to talk about today. But I just want folks to understand, you know, traditionally with a, a wrestling podcast, we would just go down your career and let's talk about the nationals, let's talk about Fargo. But you know, I just want to give folks that background. So you're this elite, elite wrestler, you go to Penn, you're a finance guy, you're just like, you got it all buttoned up, take us to the national tournament 2011, and then we'll just go from there.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I, I dreamed of, you know, the, the NCAA tournament and standing on the podium, I used to go every year, like a lot of people in wrestling, you know, the NCAA tournament is, is our, like, it's our Woodstock, and and you go there, and you see these dreams are made and everything, and so, yeah, for three years in a row, I made it to the, the blood round, and I was in the uh, quarterfinals two of the years, and, you know, my senior year was in Philadelphia hometown I was wrestling for Penn and uh and you know I was pretty confident I think I was top 10 going into it or something and you know I was winning the the very first match I was winning and I was winning by like three points or something like that and I got put to my back I went in for a shot and got cradled to my back with like 30 seconds left for five points and so I lost and I'm laughing about it now, but it's like, it was not, you know, this is something that it, it, it destroyed me. And so I, I wrestled back and it was like this crazy feeling, you know, I had to win God knows how many, like six matches or no, not six matches, but a lot to get back to just the round of 12. And uh, it was like this really like do or die. I mean, it really felt like every time I was going to go into uh to like a, like battle for my life, you know, it was my senior year. And I, you know, i had had this dream to all American and like, I'm fighting. I won a bunch of matches, make it back to the round of 12. And, uh, I wrestled, I Scotty centers who I'd lost to in the round of 12, two years before. And, uh, and again, I was winning the match, uh, not by a lot, maybe by a point or two. And I think I shot in, he's a real tall, long guy, cradled me up, put me on my back and pinned me. and I, uh, you know, I was just devastated. I mean, I was like, I was inconsolable. I cried for hours and hours and I, I just like, I, I mean, I'm just getting chills all over my body even talking about it now. Like, and it's funny, I can kind of like laugh and joke about it, but for like months afterwards, I was like in like a really deep state of depression. I was drinking a lot. I was really upset by it. And, you know, it was just something, it was like you, you, you spend how many Tens of thousands and of hours and like, you know, metric tons of sweat and blood to try to get to this thing. You spend your whole life doing, and then it just all falls short. And I, uh, yeah, it was really, it was really hard for me. And for years afterwards, I like couldn't even like really talk about it, kind of thing.
0: So after that, you went on to Wall Street. You're making some some good money, I assume. What were you doing on Wall Street?
1: Yeah, so I I had gotten a job, uh, for the, you know, working for a bank on Wall Street, and I had interned like almost every year during college. I had gotten internships around. I, I studied at the Wharton Business School at Penn, and I was really like passionate about Wall Street. I mean, I even worked on the New York Stock Exchange one summer, and uh, and like I was the guy. Like, if you ask any of my high or my college teammates, they were like, "Raleigh's going to be this like bazillionaire" because I was so obsessed with it. I was like, I was reading in my free time. I'm reading all these finance books and everything. And it was kind of my life. And so, yeah, I got this job. Um, it was like, okay, I finished wrestling, you know, I, I was really unsatisfied with the way my career ended of course, but I was like, all right, well now I got this like sick job on wall street. And so I, I kind of took all that energy and I just poured it into that. I like, I went full and I was, uh, I did like a few rotations and I wound up on a, uh, a, Corporate bond trading desk on that for a, like a prop desk, and I was I was doing some trading. I was I was doing well, and I was kind of growing really quickly. It was a small group, and so yeah, I was starting to like uh starting to do pretty well by the end. I mean, I I took my lumps for sure. It's kind of it's a it's a brutal world out there. You get a lot of, you get screamed at a few times, and uh and all that stuff. But I, I you know I, I was starting to get it after a few years.
0: So while while you're doing this and you're st- you're, you know, you're trying to find a new addiction, right? Because every addict needs a new addiction and yeah. know, wrestlers at that level are just addicts. I've, I've come to realize that. And if you don't find a new addiction quickly, you can go down the drugs or the alcohol route. You went down the trading route. I'm sure there was some partying mixed in, but were you healed at this point emotionally? Or did you just push it off to like the back corner of your mind and locked it away?
1: No, I would say that like, I really missed wrestling. Like I was not, it it was, it wasn't even subconscious. I was like, consciously, I would think about how much I missed wrestling. And I was, um, you know, it was just something that kind of like, I would think about all the time, but at the same time I wasn't really training that much. I mean, there was like once in a while I'd go to the New York athletic club um, and I wasn't working out. I got kind of fat and I was drinking a lot for sure. Like going out, uh, partying and the whole wall street, and it was not like the Wolf of Wall Street. Everyone always asks me that, so I'll just answer that. <laughs> Everyone says it was like that. It was not that crazy. But uh, I was going out a lot. And, um, and so, yeah, I missed it. And it's actually funny. One day after, I think i have been working for a few years, um, it was just kind of eating at me. And it was, I, was, I missed it. And so, like, I, uh, my buddy, I don't know if you know Kyle Sermonara. Mm-mm. um, we were like we were pretty close friends and he and I were talking and we were like, Hey, uh, the Northeast regionals is in a few weeks. Do you want to go wrestle at that? Just for like shits and giggles. And, uh, and yeah, so we, we both signed up and we like drove down to like wherever East Stralsburg, I think it was. And, uh, just decided to wrestle in the, in the, uh, I cut a little bit of weight. I cut like five or 10 pounds, uh, down to 66 kilos. And, uh, we we wrestled and the whole night the whole time we were just kind of taking it like a joke. We like went out, we went to like got steak dinner the night before and like <laughs> had a beer and we're just like sitting there. We didn't even warm up for our matches and we're just like, let's just have fun with this. And the craziest thing happened is that we both won our weight classes and like destroyed <laughs> everyone. <laughs>
0: and no way, I didn't know about this. So what so year was this?
1: This was uh two thousand okay. and Thirteen. So the w- weirdest thing happened. So w- when you win the uh, Northeast Regionals, you qualify for the World Team Trials. <laughs> so, uh, so, did you go? Yeah. Well, I get back to work on Monday, and like I told my coworkers, and they were like, "What the hell, Raleigh? You won! Like you have to go!" And so I went down to the uh, yeah the uh, the World Team Trials were in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and uh, yeah, I booked a flight down and and went. And like again, I was not taking it seriously. I was I didn't really like train that much. I was just kinda like having fun. I went out there and I got smoked. I mean I went 0-2, but it was like that's not why I was going out there. I was just kind of like having fun with it. And uh and that was a that was a cool experience. It was like there were like three former two-time NCA champions at my weight. Like there was only in my weight class, there were like sixteen guys, and it was like everyone. I mean, it was like Metcalf was there, Jordan Oliver. It was like this. It was just this like insanely oh stacked weight, and it was like this. Like oh, and also Raleigh Peterkin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you have any scraps at the Northeast Regional where you were really taxed and you forgot how tired you get in a wrestling match, or did you blow through everybody?
1: No, I just I like tacked everyone. I uh, I yeah, I've always been I've always like freestyle. Like I can kind of I can I have a good top game and i can just take someone down and and turn them up kendall cross taught me the uh his high gut and like a trap arm kind of series and so like i uh yeah i don't even think i went to like second period or something that tournament so
0: you just rolled them and so how long after you wrestled at the world team trials to when you went to peru for the first time
1: so let's see. I don't even know the timing of that. It was a few, a few months later. Like I kind of did that and I was kind of like, Oh, well, that was fun. And I just kind of shrugged it off. Like, all right, well back to work now. Um, and you know, a few months later it was actually, I think it was like November, 2013. So whenever that works out, um, a few college buddies of mine were like, let's go down to Peru to visit Ben. And my friend Ben is Ben Ryder, who eventually wound up fighting in Bellator. And is like, I think he's like, he's got like 16, 17 professional MMA wins. He's done really well. And, um, he wrestled with me in college. He was a heavyweight and he uh, graduated and went down to Peru to, to, uh, volunteer in a little village there. And he was teaching English to some kids. Ben, he now works for Beat the Streets Philly. He's like, Ben Ryder is an amazing, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Like everything he ever does, he's thinking about how he can help people and charity. And I mean, he's he founded his own charities down there in Peru. And he's just like, uh, he's the most selfless person I know. And so when he was down there, he started fighting MMA and he became like this champion of the league down there. And he just kinda, like, randomly took to it and it's funny because he's like the nicest sweetest guy and he's he became like a top MMA fighter and so I went down to visit him and um he was like he's famous down there like I I I even learned later like he would be stopped on the street and asked for his autograph and when I eventually moved to Peru later like he's on TV all the time he was like uh he would he was like featured on game shows and like all this stuff because he's like a big American guy that like did really well in MMA down there. And so <laughs> he, uh, he just became this kind of like this, this like uh, attraction down there. And so I went down to visit him and we went to Machu Picchu and did all that stuff and had this amazing time. And then the last day I was down there, uh, he was like, come train at the MMA gym with me in, in Lima. And he had this coach, this guy, Ivan Berico, who's like a legend in Peru. He's like, I mean, even to this day, if I meet someone from Peru, like if anyone from Peru is listening to this, they would definitely know who he is. Like he's uh he's kind of a household name down there. And he was just like really old school, rugged MMA fighter. He's just like, he's like got huge cauliflower years. He's fought like 50 times. He's he used to fight like in like the back of a bar for like, you know, no rules, no time limits, no gloves. You could kick in the nuts. You could pull hair like that kind of stuff. He's this old school guy. And so, um, I went to the gym and they were like, I want you to go against Yvonne. And I'm like, all right, sure. And I like wrestled with him. And I went like upper body and just like threw him, you know, just like double over hooks and like all this stuff. And I just kind of like went to town and everyone in the gym was like watching and they were like, wow, this is crazy. And he gets up there and he's like, he's like really excited because they don't have like the same level of wrestling down in South America. And he's like, um, he, they're seeing techniques that they have never seen before. And like, and he's really excited. He's like, come out for a beer with me. And like he come, he invites me out for some some drinks. And uh he was like, I want you to come down here and fight MMA in Peru. And I'm like, no, man, I have like this good Wall Street job. Like I, I work on Wall Street. Like I can't do that. And I'm a
0: professional man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, do you understand? Like that's 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 like crazy. And he just like, he's so, he's such a hard nosed guy in like a good way. He's kind of like this like Gable kind of figure, like just so serious and he just looks you in the eyes and he just says like, you're going to come down here and you're going to fight MMA for us. And I'm like, and this is all through Ben translating, by the way, I didn't speak any Spanish at the time and he didn't speak English. And, um, and he just keeps saying it over and over again. And we're drinking, we're drinking whiskey and we're getting kind of drunk. And like, he's like, insisting on it. He's like, I can tell you still have this itch to compete and everything like that. And it just kind of like, I went like later that day, I went back to the United States and it just kind of like stuck in my head. And I was just like thinking the whole time, like, man, what if I did this? Like, what if I did something like this? And, uh, you know, I was working, sitting in an office all day. And so I was kind of like, I've been feeling a little bit claustrophobic and like kind of cooped up and like, I wasn't doing a lot of physical stuff and I was just kind of like wanted the sense of adventure and like the travel had awakened it. And so I started thinking like, what if, what if I did that? Like that would be so crazy, but like, what a, what an adventure that would be. And you know, I was like, I was doing well at work. So I was, I was about to get like a, a whole like a a portfolio to trade and all this stuff, but it was just kind of like eating away at me. And I, uh, you know, I, I kind of like started listening to other people around me. And a lot of other people that work on wall street would share a kind of story of like, Oh, my dream is to one day, like coach my high school football team, or my one dream is to one day start like a charter fishing boat or something like that. And I would kind of like start hearing these people and be like, they're never going to do this. And I was like, you know, everyone says like, okay, in two or three years, I'll do something or in two or three years when I make more money or whatever. And I was kind of thinking, like, I would see these guys, people that are older that are stuck there that, like, hated it or something. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And it just kind of, like, hit me, and I started it started growing and growing. And so I started making plans to, uh, to go down to Peru. And I started – I signed up for classes at Henzo Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu in New York City, doing some boxing at Church Street for, like, a few months. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going.
0: Oh man, a lot to unpack there i I, I want to know though was it was it more so just like like a low grade not even depression, but just unhappiness with with work and that you had kind of been sold a bill of goods and hey I'm supposed to be happy making all this money in Wall Street. I have it made, and you weren't feeling that way, or was it more the itch to compute
1: It was probably both um that's a good way to the- to put it like, I think I was just, you know, I, I just, the, the, the sitting down for 12 hours of a day is just not me. Like I have energy and I have, uh, this drive to do things and to like, you know, be outside and to go have an adventure. And I just, I wasn't very satisfied with the job and it was just kind of like, uh, yeah it just wasn't it wasn't doing for me and like the you know I wasn't getting a lot of sleep and all this stuff like it was not what I was looking for and then like you kind of multiply that by the 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 itch to compete and to get back out there and then this kind of like random thing falls on my lap like you know this Peru, and it's just like the I think also the fact that it was so crazy, the fact that it wasn't just like some minor step to some other thing, like the fact that it was like, all right, I'm just gonna dynamite everything and start some new thing like I think that kind of appealed to me too, like I like big decisions like that and big changes and it, it kind of like really threw me into the deep end. I was like, all right. And it was scary. It was really scary because I started making these plans and I started telling people, like, I think I'm going to move down to Peru and do this. And, like, it kind of divided my friends. Like, half of them would say, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You're throwing away your career. And then the other half would say, that's amazing. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Go follow your dreams. And, I mean, my family didn't take it well, as you could guess. Uh, They were pretty upset with me. And, uh, you know, that was not easy my grandfather called me screaming at me and uh you know it was really difficult like I had to like really put the blinders on and just say at a certain point I just got to a point where I said okay I'm gonna do this and I'm not gonna let anything stand in my way from doing this because I I was getting like a lot of pushback from a lot of people and there were a lot of like there were a lot of like very valid reasons why I shouldn't do this
0: like what outside of the money
1: well, I mean, the money, the the fact that like my, my dad was like, why can't you just go travel? Why do you have to cage fight? And I was like, That's fair. Uh, yeah. And I mean, in South America, uh, not many regulations, all this stuff. And, and then, yeah, like throwing your career away. Like when I quit, my boss was like, you know, that it's going to be like, if you ever want to come back to this industry, it's going to be really difficult for you because, you know, people won't won't trust that you, you're going to stay around. And, um and yeah. I mean, I was throwing away a really good career path. I was on like just about, I was really lucky to be on just about like one of the best places I could be in my career. And, and I was just, you know, throwing that all away. So it was, uh, yeah, it was scary for sure.
0: How nervous were you the day you finally had to tell your boss that you were leaving in two weeks?
1: (laughs) So, uh, first of all it wasn't two weeks we don't really do that wall street you don't really do that when you quit you quit that's they just, it
0: they let you out the door that's it
1: yeah and uh i was super nervous but i was like kind of in the zone i remember like just going up and uh up that elevator and like uh being like well i'm going to do this and like i i mean i was kind of like i wasn't i don't know i knew i was going to do it and it was weird because everyone i had to go through my boss and then i had to meet with like his boss and meet with all these other people on the way out and like everyone just like was looking at me like they thought I would probably had a mental breakdown. And I mean, so yeah, in the, in the ensuing like weeks and months, I kept in touch with everyone. There were a lot of wrestlers at my company also. So people were like followed me and, uh, and people were following my eventual MMA career and everything like that. And so, uh, yeah, it was weird. It was, it was definitely weird, but, uh, it was yeah i was very very nervous that day but i I did it you know again i just had to put the blinders on and say you know what like no matter what i'm just gonna it was like autopilot like i i I can be nervous but i'm gonna do this anyway
0: and did you go to peru shortly after did you stay in the states and train for a little bit
1: no i like went to peru pretty quickly after i think maybe i took a few weeks to like get my things in order but um I and I had not let me highlight how little training I had done like I had I did like a month or two of jujitsu in New York and like a few boxing classes and I had done some jujitsu over the years but like you know very sporadic and I uh I just flew down to Peru I didn't speak Spanish I didn't I was gonna live with Ben and like they had a I was like well this is it you know I'm gonna do this thing like MMA in South America let's go (laughs)
0: Oh my God! It's it's the I'm laughing, but really it, the story moves me very deeply emotionally because I'm in high tech sales, and like you say, you know, we all know those directors or VPs that say, oh, "I I can't wait to be done," or "I'd like to do this." And I'm like, "What do you mean you can't wait to be done? You're 40. You have 20 more years left of this. I'm only you know nine years behind you. That's that scares the shit out of me. You know, so it's just uh, it's cool to hear someone who's finally said, "I'm gonna do it." and You did it. So when you get down to Peru, are you living with your buddy or like, what's the, what's the situation when you get down there?
1: Yeah, so I was living with Ben. Um, he had like an extra bedroom, and he had a family. He was married to a Peruvian woman, and a kid, and he was like, he Ben lived in Peru for like six years or something, or maybe I don't know. Like he lived in there for a long time. He went like fully native. He speaks fluent Spanish. He, he like he uh, he became like a Peruvian, and uh,
0: he's like the and, governor down there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, now he's back. He's back in the states now. But uh, he was. Yeah, he was like. I mean, it was, like, in this neighborhood of Barranco in, in Lima. And um, and we had a really unique – there was a weird, like, situation in this gym. It was – there was this, like, mega rich guy who, like, funded this gym. Like, kind of like a fox catcher kind of situation. Um, but yep. not without the tragic ending. Right. And, like, we got paid to train. And they had a, a gym with bunk beds. Most of the guys lived in the bunk beds in the back of the gym. And they had a chef there and we had three meals a day and it was all like we, we got, and we like got to keep all of our fight money and we didn't have to pay for anything. It was like just this, it was just this really weird situation. So, uh, it was, it was really unique. And so like that gym down there in Peru, like we had part of the, the interesting thing was that like, we had to train three times a day. It was like part of the, the, the the situation. So like I got down there and I was just like, I was not in great shape and it was like that was talk about like going to Blair, but this was like, wow! I am in awful shape, and I was dying for like weeks down there. And uh, and that gym, there were five like professional fighters on the roster, and uh, it's me. And then Ben went and fought in Bellator, and then the other three guys fight in the UFC.
0: Holy shit! I didn't even know it was that deep down there. Wow. Well,
1: it's not. It's just this one gym that was like this, like all-star team of peruvian guys and we had Ivan in our corner so two of them were on the like the ultimate fighter latin america uh this guy enrique Barzola won it one year and then the next year uh claudio Pueyes got second and they got ufc contracts from that so it was like it was this but this is before at the time they weren't like at yeah. the time no one was in the ufc or bellator it was just us and it was just like but it was this kind of cool moment in history and that's that was part of the reason why i wanted to write this book eventually because i was like there for this weird moment in history in South American and Peruvian MMA that was like uh yeah just a very unique moment.
0: Yeah, and we're going to link to the the book in the show notes. It's called The Cage and it's you know your it's about your journey obviously what we're talking about but to me the craziest part about the journey is that you even though even when you were done fighting in Peru you went on this like a just this crazy rocket ship of just traveling, you know, all these, you've been to like 50, 60 countries and there's a number of stories I want to ask you about, but I just got to go back to, all right, you're in Peru. You're like two, three weeks in, you're on the grind again. Are you feeling scared? Are you feeling great? Where are you at? Two, three weeks in.
1: I was, so leading up to it, I hadn't like allowed myself to be scared kind of like I was just again, just like so focused on it. I'm going to do it. Once I got down there, I was, kind of I got like I got like very nervous about a lot of things I was like way in over my head in a lot of ways and uh I think back on the time and it's just like it's very like wistful or whatever but it was scary at the time yeah I mean I was in Peru I'm navigating this new culture I haven't traveled that much at the time um didn't know the language. There were a lot of times I got stuck like with a group of like MMA guys in a car somewhere and I didn't, none of them spoke English and like I was like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's happening right now. And uh, and yeah, I was training a ton and I knew I was going to be fighting. And so like one of the first days down there, we went and watched this local MMA event and I just remember like the butterflies in my stomach. I was like, I can't believe I'm about to do this. And I think one of the things that like attracted me to MMA was the fact that it scared the shit out of me. Like, I would watch it on TV. You know, you watch like Dan Henderson or Chuck Liddell back in the day. And I would just watch these fights and I would say like, you have to be insane to do that. Like I would never do that. Like you see someone just throwing an elbow in someone's bloody face. And I just remember thinking like, what kind of maniac would ever do that? And so like, because it scared me so much, it kind of also attracted me because it was like this challenge of this thing that like I was so, uh, Kind of mentally, or I was so like scared of, so it was like, all right, I need to face this fear. Um, and like, I didn't have a lot of time to. This is this is a crazy part too. So like, I didn't even have a lot of time to be afraid. I was there for like 20 days, and after on February 21st, I think it was like I've been there for 20 days. My coach yvonne comes into the room, and he says, "You're gonna fight today," and I was like, "What?" And he was like, we're doing some amateur fights at the gym. You're going to fight today. And it was like a, it was more than sparring, but maybe less than like a real fight. It was a, it was a, what's called like a smoker in boxing. Mm-hmm. Like it was like one gym versus another, but it's in the cage with the referee, like at everything. And so I was like, excuse me. He's like, yeah, you're going to fight today. You're ready. And I was like, I, I can't, I have been here for 20 days. I can't even, I can barely throw a punch. And I was getting like my ass beat in the room, like all the time and I'm sparring with like the, these guys that I'm telling you like eventually went to the UFC and everything like that. And like, and is this daily sparring or like once a week we would do like a full sparring on Saturday mornings. We would go or Sunday mornings. We would go um, no, Saturday mornings. We would go like put the shin pads on the headgear and do like three rounds in the cage and do that whole thing. But just about every day we practice three times a day, just about every day we would go like, he would say 30%, you know, but it, it wasn't 30%. And, and they're all great guys, by the way, they were they, like, they were all like super supportive of me. They taught me so much. I, I just was talking to one of them earlier today. This was like six years ago, actually, I still talk to all of them. And, wow. and, uh, you know, they were like super supportive, you know, showing patient with me. Cause I didn't know anything. And, and like, I think they were also really grateful that I could teach the wrestling. So I was teaching them like tons of wrestling things that they didn't have access to down there. And so yeah it was like this uh like it was kind of like a nice situation they were teach me striking Man. and jujitsu. jitsu. How how,
0: uh, <laughs> how much weight did you lose when you first got down there? They trimmed it off you? I
1: lost I lost so much weight. I mean I think in like the first from like my peak let me put it this way when I was like on Wall Street I was probably like 165-170 and I fought at 125. So I lost a lot of weight when I first got down there, just because I had like a constant stomach bug. I mean, I was like, you know, I was really nervous. I was really nervous and anxious because my life was just completely changed. So I was already like, didn't have much of an appetite. I'm working out three times a day. Uh, and I like had, you know, like stomach bug like all the time. So I immediately, I think in the first like few weeks I dropped like 25 pounds or something like that. I mean, it was just like, it just came right off. And um, you know, so I, I would say I was, I was walking around like 140 or 145 maybe. And you know, that's down from like 65 or something like that. So yeah, it came right off and I had that. So that fight, like I said, 20 days after I arrived, I went in there and like, I was, I was kind of like, I'm kind of glad it went down that way. Cause I didn't have time to be nervous. Cause it was just like, he was like, it's in a few hours. And I said, no, at first. And he just kept insisting, you're going to do this. <laughs> and
0: what happened? How'd
1: it go? I, uh, it was like exactly like you'd expect. I, I basically wrestled him the whole time. I just like took him down and like wrestled him and, you know, did like ground and pound. It was an amateur fight. So you couldn't like elbow to the face or something. They had like a pretty restrictive rule set. But, uh, then in the third round, I like shot in, I think, uh, yeah, like shot in and just like landed like a big uppercut in my face. And I was like really, my lip like burst open It was really bloody. And, um, the fight finished and I won because I like had dominated the fight most of the time. And I remember like my teammate, Jesus Pinedo came in and was like, Oh, like I'll wipe the blood from your face. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to get a picture. I look tough. And, uh, (laughs) and I was so excited, man. It was like, cause a few hours before I had not even been planning on doing this and I had won my first, first fight. And that was pretty cool moment.
0: Man. What a, what a, just a, a turning point of all turning points for you. Um, and i know i know we can't sit on here and talk all day but i'm just curious how did why did the why did your career end and how, what was the next step after the the mma circuit for you down there
1: yeah well so i mean i i kind of like i went like i fought another amateur fight like 2 weeks later and then i fought my pro debut like a little bit after that and i fought three professional fights and i um i was doing really well and you know at a certain point i i just kind of was like all right you know this is been so interesting but it's a, a lot of things kind of happened at the same time that were like uh you know what maybe this is not the answer and so like you had i uh i got injured i cut my finger and it turned into like this crazy trigger finger and i couldn't like open it like it was just like stuck shut and i went to all these doctors down there and they couldn't fix it then the uh the gym ran into financial problems and this guy the, this rich guy kind of disappeared for whatever reason and the gym closed it eventually reopened after like much later gym closed the league stopped and then you know at the time I was uh you know I I was start, I started to uh abuse prescription drugs that they had sold kind of down there like over the counter yeah and I went through this awful experience and I I, I realized I did it for like a, a little bit and then I was like oh shit I should stop and I stopped and went through this awful withdrawal and I had like you know it was one of the worst experiences of my life and i had to uh reconsider a lot of things and i met a girl and so like it was just kind of like this like bam 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 uh set of circumstances and i just kind of like had to really reevaluate and i was like you know what maybe getting punched in the head is not the answer um and before that i had been very committed to it i've been like i want to be a ufc champion one day you know it wasn't just like i was like kind of jumping in like i was I was doing it fully but it was like at a certain point okay you know I think I went from one crazy extreme to another and I'm like maybe this is not the answer either and so um was that
0: scary though to admit that to yourself
1: yeah it was yeah it was really I think like I said I'd gone through this withdrawal and so I was having a lot of um I was having a lot of issues and it was a, it was, it was another probably period of like depression in my life. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I did this big thing. And I thought this would be the the, the solution. I thought I'd have like this kind of like amazing time and this experience and it kind of like a lot of things crashed down around me. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, long story short, I, I got a job teaching English in Spain. After that, there's a, you know, yeah long long story short i got got a job teaching english in spain and i moved to madrid like after after a year in peru
0: why did you not go back to united states
1: i think at this point i had realized the that what i wanted in life was this adventure and this new sense of of novelty and experience. And I had had these absolutely amazing experiences in Peru. Like I did some traveling around Peru and like the life abroad for me, it was so interesting. You know, what would maybe be like a, you know, just going, you get sick and go to the pharmacy to get like some cold medicine here, but that becomes like a, a whole adventure down there you know you have to speak in a different language you don't know the culture you don't know how to get there taking some bus or doing whatever and so I kind of got like to, to use the term addicted like <laughs> using that a lot I guess I guess I'm, I'm addicted to a lot of things um me too I kinda, yeah I kind of got addicted to this this lifestyle and you know it was just so fascinating to me to learn about different cultures and languages and I, I was learning Spanish and I uh I was meeting these amazing people abroad, you know, the most interesting people and that's kind of like why eventually fast, fast forward, you know, 5 years, I started my podcast and I was like I've met so many amazing people like I think a lot of people uh see what I do and they think man that guy's crazy and I like know other people I'm like like my very first episode I was like interviewed this girl Marina who's been to 106 countries as a solo female traveler and like I just I'm like I, I know all of these other amazing people. And so it's, it's just been so inspirational to me and like you get to meet these cool people and I travel around and I stay in hostels and I, I have made amazing connections with people that have just even like from every country in the world. And, uh, it's just been so exciting for me,
0: man. And you're, you know, people talk up, you know, some people say that doesn't interest me at all. I never want to do that. I'm the camp where I say that sounds absolutely amazing. But I'm more so a man of a daily routine, and I get outside of that. I get a little, get a little weird. Um, so did you d- develop – and I, I can imagine you're a type A cat. You were a you know, pen guy, a Wall Street guy. You probably had your routines. Did you get back – when? You, so when you got down to Peru, were you living like, like – did you ever get like a normal job and you were kind of doing your own thing, or were you just kind of living this wild life the whole time you were down there?
1: Um, I was – I was going to say that? after
0: the after the fighting stopped, or maybe you left right away after that. But after the fighting stopped,
1: I I left pretty quickly after the well, not not pretty quickly. I was down there. I started writing my book. Um, I I started writing this book, and then I, uh, yeah, then I I went to Spain after that. And I mean, in Spain, it was maybe that was kind of like, I think. The the period in Spain, I was I, was in Spain for like three years. I was teaching English at uh like a high school. I've lived in Madrid and in, in the Canary Islands. And I think that that was kind of like a better balance, like of of stability, you know, like having a, a, like a normal going into, to work and, but also living in a foreign country and having these adventurous experience. And I mean, I, it's funny. I am, I am kind of like this little bit type A, but I'm also like a person that I do very well in chaos. I think like I'm not, I'm not someone that needs like a daily routine and I've the last like five years have been like very chaotic and very uncertain. And I think I I can, I can handle a level of uncertainty that would drive most people completely insane. And, uh, and so, yeah, I have, I've, I've, you know, I've I've traveled all around Europe. I've kind of done a lot of like backpacking and hitchhiking and, and, um, and all this crazy stuff. So it's been, uh, it's been amazing.
0: And I have a couple of questions I want to ask more so about some of your travels. But last thing from Peru, did you ever try ayahuasca to help with the uh, the addictions? And if so, did it work?
1: I did not try ayahuasca. Um, I, I, I thought about it and I considered it, but it just kind of scared me and I, I wasn't in the right Mental state at the time, yeah. and I know that there's a lot of people that have have gotten a lot of help from it, from uh, from addictions and from depression and PTSD and everything like that. And I have a, a friend that owns owns an ayahuasca center, and like I I'm, I know a lot of people have done it. It just like it just didn't seem right, and so I uh, I never never got around to that, but maybe one day.
0: Trust the gut. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the stories I saw on Instagram that I have to ask for the, for the listener's sake here, running with the bulls. Why were you up all night the night before and talk us through the next day?
1: So I was doing what's called the Camino de Santiago at the time. So there's like a, a path through the North of Spain. It starts just over the Pyrenees in France. And it's, uh, it's 500 miles and you walk, uh, across the North of Spain and it's traditionally a pilgrimage, but like, I wasn't doing it for that. I was just doing it for for fun. It's kind of like a shorter version of the Appalachian Trail, but flat and like a little bit more, a little bit less rural. And uh, yeah, so I kind of timed it so that after I would get to Pamplona right in time for the running of the bulls and I didn't have a place to stay uh, because you have to book them like years in advance there. So I had a friend that lived not too far from there and I left my bag at her place and I just went out and stayed out all night at the uh in Pamplona and it was amazing I mean it's really it's so amazing it's so much fun everyone's just spraying wine from balconies and like uh people from all over the world and it's uh it's really great time and so uh yeah in the morning I was like I had been up all night and it was like eight in the morning they start the running of the bowls and so I get into like the kind of corral and uh What's the
0: nerves like when you're in the corral for the running
1: with the bulls? I can't even fathom it, man. So it's like, it's similar to an MMA fight. I would say that the feeling is like, okay, I'm going to die. And I would say in both instances, I think it's an interesting feeling because in both cases, your rational mind knows that you're not going to die. Like, you know that rationally the chances, the probability is like insanely low. You know, riding a motorcycle is more dangerous than either one of them. And so you know that you're not going to die, but there's like that, that, I don't know, the subconscious or like the, the reptilian mind is like, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And like, you know, images play through your head of like getting gored by a bull and coughing up blood and like all this (laughs) stuff. And so, uh, you know, it was there. And like, I think one of my things, like I said about MMA is like facing fears. And so like, I I always like, if something scares me, I just, I want to do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was there. I hadn't slept at all. I had like wine, all of my white clothes. And I, I, uh, like if you read the story on Instagram, you know, the, the rest of this. But, but uh, Tell me
0: about the part where you, where you jump up. It's like you start and you jump up and you, like you're kind of hanging above the bulls and you say, screw that. I'm getting back in the mix. And you go back in again.
1: Yeah. So like I was, I was starting to run, the bulls were coming and like uh i saw this guy like standing on the side and he kind of like looked up and there was like kind of window with like bars over it like uh on the side because it's a closed street which is also even more terrifying it's like it's like walled on both sides and uh and he like kind of jumped up and grabbed and i was like oh it's not a bad idea and just in that moment i went reached up jumped up and grabbed the bars and pulled myself up and the bulls ran underneath um and you know as i was up there i was like man you can't do this like you gotta, you gotta go wrong with the bulls. What are you doing? And so I jumped, I dropped down like right after and ran after them. And like, I was running alongside one of them and I reached out and just like touched it on the lower back, like for like, you know, a fraction of a fraction or a fraction of a second. And I just like, remember just being so, uh, so like the adrenaline and the like pure euphoria of the moment. Like I was so, excited about that and uh wow. and yeah that was that was like one of my that was definitely one of my favorite moments I've had
0: man there's it's just the uh to your point the feeling of like excitement and accomplishment afterwards is worth the fear of doing it many times I mean you had to be on cloud nine the rest of that day
1: yeah I was like I mean I was like just giddy after that I mean it was so cool it's one of those things like uh, I mean again I would compare it to an MMA fight like you're terrified beforehand like you're just thinking like i hope this gets canceled i hope you know like i hope i trip and fall and get hurt before i go out there and i can't do this and but then once it's finished you're like on cloud nine and it's just this this amazing feeling of of euphoria and i i don't think there's any feeling like that out there
0: and there's and that's why people chase it man that's why you're kind of doing your the things you've done, um, there's a, we've, we're barely scratching the surface, so I encourage people to check out the book. Um, also, you have this podcast. Um, it's called The Divergent Path Podcast. Is that right? Yep. Tell tell folks about that and, and why, why you started that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, like I just met all these amazing people. And so it started with that. I was like, well, I just have cool people. But I've, I've gotten the chance to interview so many amazing people. As you know, having a podcast is amazing. You just get to talk to like – interesting people all the time and you know it's like it's amazing because i i'm someone like i read a lot and I'm, I'm passionate about writing and all this stuff so i've interviewed i think 20 something authors and i just like I, you know you read a book and you send them a message like hey do you want to uh do you want to come on the podcast and uh and so yeah i've got to talk to really cool people and uh from all walks of life i mean i have I've had a New Yorker cartoonist on there. I've interviewed Kendall Cross and Jeff Buxton and Tom Ryan in the wrestling world and uh and yeah, just have some amazing conversations. And so yeah, I mean it's it's great to be here and speak with you, you know.
0: We talk about addictions. Podcasting is one of the most fun things you could do and when you, I mean, as you know, anytime you start one, it's just such an exciting feeling. Um and I just I the, the feeling after a podcast, a good one like this, I'm in a good mood for the rest of the night. Whereas I might have four shitty sales calls and one good sales call and I don't feel nearly as good as this. So it's definitely a selfish thing. Um, I'm sure you can attest to that
1: yeah I mean I think like it's it's so cool after an hour of talking to someone in this kind of like setup you feel like you're like old buddies or something like that and and so yeah it's cool like again like I get to interview these cool people and then like you have a question about something later just shoot a message and like it's uh it's been it's it's been really amazing and it's kind of like a way to keep in touch with 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 everyone everyone like people tune in and and uh it's been yeah it's been really fun I didn't think I would like it so much and I, I I love podcasting.
0: Me too, man. Last question. And this is because I'm doing some writing myself right now. What's the, uh, what's your favorite book on writing besides Stephen King's on writing?
1: I, I, I have like a lot. I, I, I've read probably like 20 books about writing, but uh, I would say Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont is really good. And then Story by Robert McKee, which is a screenwriting book, but it's a big one. I got that. It's
0: huge. Yeah,
1: dude, that's the bible of of storytelling. I would say that it's the uh, you know whether you're going to be like uh, you know whether you want to write like good marketing copywriting or stand up comedy or just telling good stories to your friends. Like I think Robert McKee's book uh, has taught me more than than anything else. Really, it's it's a fantastic book.
0: Have you ever read Draft Number Four? Yes. Do you like John,
1: it, John McPhee? Yeah, I
0: got it on the shelf. Haven't pulled the trigger on it.
1: Yeah, I would say that it's like a little more like high level than like Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird is the best place to start. Like you, you want to like if you if you're like a beginning writer, like On Writing by Stephen King or Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird are like the best to start. Then uh, Draft Number Four is is not as comprehensive, not like a full guide to it, but it has like a lot of like really cool, interesting points to it. The other one I would say is uh have you read the The War of Art?
0: Oh my God. Stephen Pressfield's the man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that one's a good one. Like it's not a conventional writing book, but it's a good uh I always say that it's a kick in the ass and uh it's it's a good book to read for just about anything.
0: The one I'm reading now that's really, really making an impact is The Writer's Journey. And it takes a um so if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, you know, he has this book, uh, I think it's a hero of a thousand faces and yeah i've read that yeah so this guy takes that and he the guy who wrote this i got it right here um whatever it's on this front but he was an executive at disney and he came across steve uh came across a hero with a thousand faces and he goes this is literally the hero's journey is every story that's ever done well and so he broke it down and kind of synthesized it in a more of a how-to approach
1: well so joseph campbell had a huge impact on george lucas and yes. they were like friends and so star wars follows the he- hero's journey it's called the monomyth uh to a, to a t almost and then i think one thing though is like a lot of movies have become almost formulaic like if you look at a movie these are all like amazing movies so i'm not saying that yeah. they're formulaic in a bad way but it's like a kind of standard formula is like the matrix or even the lego movie have the same kind of like there's like a, the 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 joseph campbell like plot it's like you know you have the, the the first threshold and then you have the encounter with the, the father figure and the the mother and like all of these different things so yes yeah
0: oh you're dude absolutely
1: i i, I can talk about this for for hours
0: <laughs> i love it man i love it i'm doing a documentary on john smith right now it comes out in january so i'm in the uh the heavy writing phase now we did a bunch of interviews this summer so i i've just been kind of re rehashing some of it and how i got onto joseph campbell tim ferris I know you know who that is. Uh, yep. He recently, one of his episodes, he found this like these interviews that Joseph Campbell did with PBS before he died.
1: The Power of Myth. Yes. Which I've seen. Yeah. And then there's also a book that's transcribed into a book, which I've, I've read. Yeah.
0: That's so, but he just took part one of that and played it on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And that's why I found out about him. I'm like, holy shit, dude. How have I never heard of this guy? And I just kind of went down the rabbit hole from there.
1: Yeah. Like most of modern movies have been like really impacted by Joseph Campbell, who's a mythologist. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, definitely good. And I would say that if you, if you're doing like writing for a documentary, yeah. Like the, the um, story by Robert McKee would be a great one to read. And uh, yeah. And if you want any other recommendations, you know, let me know. And if you want anyone to uh, check <laughs> anything out, I'm always here. Have you read uh have you read the uh, cowboy up? Yes. I have that. I see that right there on my shelf. I read that a long time ago. And I also have the power of myth right there. And, uh, that book is amazing.
0: Yeah. The cowboy up the wrestling one. Yeah. 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 It is. I, I didn't even know. Um, there's a couple books out there on that, but that, that was one of the first ones I got my hands on, which is, I think that's
1: one of the best wrestling books actually.
0: Yeah. It's good. The chapter on John Smith himself, I read it like four times. I, I just had no idea some of the things he went through and that was kind of the tipping point for that.
1: Yeah, I read that back in college and I, I even remember like I remember there's a great quote from it where he's saying like how like he's like Tiger Woods, you give him like a a three iron when he needs a wedge, it doesn't matter, he'll make it work, he'll just find a way to win and like he's talking about like wrestlers how they could just find a way to win and uh and yeah, John Smith's amazing. I mean, I remember those early flow wrestling videos with him, watch those like a million times and uh really inspirational guy.
0: Yeah, he's it's been awesome to to sit down and talk with him. I'm excited to get the uh get the story out there. It's gonna be an audio documentary series that comes out in January.
1: Are you doing it in like podcast form? Or yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, so I um I'm obsessed with ESPN 30 for thirties. oh yeah, yeah. Like The Last Dance is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. And there's so many good ones that they've done. But when I first started wanting to do stories, I'm like, all right, a film documentary seems there's a lot of steps involved there, but shit, a podcast documentary, you know, if you can master the fundamentals of storytelling, it's not as hard to get good interview footage, you know, as it is to getting uh, really good camera footage. So I did one on Gable, and I did another one on this, kind of this smaller story in Illinois. And then this summer started working with uh, USA Wrestling and the National Hall of Fame to produce this series called The Smiths. It's going to be a seven-part audio doc.
1: That's amazing. That's really cool. That I mean, that's like, it's great to be able to you know take this uh this podcast format kind of thing and and to to produce things like that and uh yeah i mean i'm as i said before i'm a a big fan of the the world of podcasting and i think it's still even though there's like two million podcasts out there it's still developing in so many ways and i think more organizations are going to start creating using podcasts to their advantage and uh and it's definitely going to uh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be amazing, and so that's that's really cool. I can't wait to listen to the uh, John Smith. Things. It's, I,
0: it's yeah. liberating that you don't have to have anyone helping you. You know, you can you you can do it from your apartment or wherever you're at right now. And like, I can do it from here. It's like all you need is a Zoom account, and they're free.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's so easy now. I, I wanted to start one like four or five years ago. I remember, and like back then, recording it was a little bit more difficult, and like all this stuff. And I kind of like started doing it, and then I just gave up. But now it's like so easy to do. And people always say to me like, oh man, it must be so difficult with all those professionals. I'm like, you know, I just, I, I, I do it myself. So it's, uh, it's it's not too bad, you know, and it's it's fun. It allows you access to so many interesting people, as I said before.
0: Indeed. And now you are one of those on this podcast, Raleigh. It has been a pleasure to have you on, sir. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a couple of weeks now. I'm glad we could dig into it. Um, book is The Cage, Divergent Path Podcast raleigh Petterkin, look them up folks thank you very much for your time my friend
1: yeah it's an honor to be here and and, uh nice to meet you and i'm glad that you enjoyed the linden store in wellesley massachusetts dude i got
0: the menu pulled up here it's been on my screen since we started and it's just i'm just salivating right now because i'm not (laughs) i'm not supposed to be eating bread during the week so i got a sandwich shop menu in front of me not good
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah man well it's great to meet you
0: likewise brother take care And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.